Martin Luther King, the black Baptist minister and civil rights activist, once said this. I submit to you that if a man has not discovered that something he will die for, he isn't fit to live. If a person hasn't discovered something they will die for, they are not fit to live. Those are strong words, aren't they? I wonder what you make of that claim. That in some sense, for our lives to be worth living, for us to be worthy of the lives that we have been given, there must be something that we would be willing to give them away for. Paul's found that something in this week's passage. Have a look with me at uh, verse 13. Paul responds to his friends, pleading with him not to go to Jerusalem, and he says, I'm ready not only to be bound, but also to die in Jerusalem for the name of the Lord Jesus. Paul's found something, or more precisely, someone he will die for, and that someone is Jesus. And through these closing chapters of Acts, we see that Paul is true to his word. By the end of even this chapter, he's been um, attempt, he's, he's survived attempted murder and been uh, arrested. He survives, he, he survives another plot, a shipwreck, and in between, he's on trial multiple times as a witness to the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ. An idea of being a witness is actually key to the whole of the book of Acts. Back in chapter 1, verse 8, Jesus tells his disciples, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you, and you'll be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. Now, so far in Acts, um, quick kind of revision, the first 20 chapters basically show that spread of the good news that Jesus describes there in that verse. The apostles take the good news of Jesus' death and resurrection into Jerusalem, out into Judea and Samaria, and then out into the Mediterranean world. But in this chapter, in this week's passage, the focus is not on the gospel being taken to a new city, a new place that's never heard of Jesus. It's not on anything, actually, that Paul says. It's on what Paul does. On how he lives as a witness to the risen Christ. God has given us uh, this part of his word to teach us what it looks like to witness to Christ with our lives. Not just with our words, crucial as they are, but with everything we are. As we'll see, Luke, the author of Acts, wants to be um, front up and be honest with us that it's not an easy life to live as a witness of Christ. There's a reason that the, um, the Greek word wit- for witness gives us our word martyr. That's the Greek word martyr. It's life of suffering and sacrifice. But we'll see that it is also the only life that is truly secure. A life built on the unshakable, indestructible hope of the resurrection. So first, to live as a witness to Jesus is to be ready to suffer for him. It's to be ready to suffer for him. So as we pick up the narrative at the start of chapter 21, Paul and his friends are on the way to Jerusalem. And in the previous chapter, Acts chapter 20, um, Paul told the Ephesian elders why. Chapter 20, verse 22, 
He said, and now, compelled by the Spirit, I am going to Jerusalem, not knowing what will happen to me there. I only know that in every city, the Holy Spirit warns me that prison and hardships are facing me. So in some sense, Paul is not choosing to go to Jerusalem. He uses the word, he's compelled, he's being led by the Spirit to Jerusalem. Even though he's being warned by that same Spirit that prison and hardships await. Even though when they um, drop anchor and stay at Tyre for a week, the disciples there urge him in the Spirit not to go. Even though a prophet, Agabus, comes down to him at Caesarea and, and, and brings him a word from the Holy Spirit that says, when you go, you will be bound and handed over to the Gentiles in Jerusalem. Even though all of his friends plead with Paul, don't go, don't go, don't go. What does Paul say? Verse 13. Why are you weeping and breaking my heart? I'm ready not only to be bound, but also to die in Jerusalem for the name of the Lord Jesus. Paul is ready to suffer for Jesus because he knows that actually that's what it means to follow Jesus, to walk in his footsteps. Luke, the author of Acts, draws out the parallel for us between Jesus and Paul. In his gospel, Luke tells us that Jesus set his face resolutely to Jerusalem. And here we see Paul do exactly the same. In Luke's gospel, Jesus says multiple times, I'm going to go to Jerusalem, I'm going to be handed over to the Gentiles, I'm going to be bound. Here, we're told that Paul will be bound and handed over to the Gentiles. Luke records in his gospel that the night before Jesus died, he said, yeah, not my will but yours be done. And here in verse 14, Paul's companions say, the Lord's will be done. Jesus said, whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves and take up their cross daily and follow me. And Paul gets that. Paul lives that. And so he's ready to suffer for Jesus. The question is, am I? Are we? Are we ready to suffer for Jesus? I mean, I'm not sure about me. Because, well, not, not because, but partly because we live in a culture that is allergic to suffering. Um, let me give you a trivial example. I don't know if, if you've seen the, the adverts on the tube for the, the iron supplements that promise that if you take them, you'll never be tired again. I think the tagline is tired of being tired, right? And the point is that the the promise is, you know, you don't need to suffer in this way. You don't need to suffer tiredness anymore just by this this supplement and it'll go away. Right? Now, I've never bought Floridix or whatever it is, but that doesn't mean I'm immune to that way of thinking, that I, I really shouldn't have to suffer ever at all. I shouldn't have to suffer being tired, right? So I've got two small children, Three and three-year-old and a one-year-old. And when they wake up early, it's not just that I'm tired, it's that I am aggrieved. There is injustice in the world. It's not right that they're up this early. It's not fair. Surely, surely something must be done about this. And before you know it, it's infected your faith. God, why have you let my children wake up at quarter to six again? Don't you love me? That's silly on one level. But actually, it's deadly serious. 
Because in our culture, it's so easy to distort the good news of Christianity into the promise that Jesus will deliver us less suffering. Jesus loves me, we say, and so Jesus wouldn't let me suffer. Jesus suffered, so I don't have to. Well, if we think that way, we'll end up where Paul's companions end up. The Spirit is revealing to everyone in this passage that when Paul goes to Jerusalem, he's going to suffer. And everyone else goes, that means you shouldn't go, Paul. If you're going to suffer, it can't be what God wants you to do. Not true. It's exactly what God wanted Paul to do. So we say, God, you know, I think your Spirit's prompting me to speak up in this conversation. To be honest about what I believe about marriage, say. But, but that would be really, I'd, I'd suffer relationally if I did that. So that can't be what you want me to do. Because you, you, you never want me to suffer, God. As I see what's going on at work, and I see what, to be honest, is like low-level corruption and cheating, I feel prompted, God, to, to say something, to, 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 to blow the whistle. But, but that would really, I'd, there'd be a lot of suffering there. I, I, my career would suffer. And so you... Well, that must, God can't want me to do that because he doesn't want me to suffer. Not true. Not true. To live as a witness of Christ is to be ready to suffer for him. Paul hears and heeds the voice of the Holy Spirit. He looks at the example of Jesus and he says, I am ready to suffer for him. So first, To live as a witness to Jesus is to be ready to suffer for him. Secondly, it's to be ready to sacrifice for others. It's to be ready to sacrifice for others. So Paul arrives in Jerusalem and he meets with the church leaders there. And on one level, it's all good news. Because Paul is able to share all that God has been doing among the Gentiles, the non-Jews through his ministry, and the the Jewish leaders in Jerusalem, um, the leaders of the church in Jerusalem, praise God for that. And they're able to tell Paul that thousands and thousands of Jews have have believed, and it's all, it's all good. But there's a problem. Uh, the problem is that the Jewish believers in Jerusalem have heard a rumor, and the rumor says this. The rumor says that when Paul takes the gospel to some, somewhere, he tells the Jews that they can't be Jews anymore once they've become followers of Jesus. They need to stop being Jews. Now, to be clear, this is not true. Paul is absolutely clear in Acts and in his letters that you do not need to be a Jew to be saved. He'll stake his ministry on that, right? You don't have to become a Jew. You don't have to be circumcised. You're saved through faith in Jesus alone. But he doesn't anywhere say that you can't be a Jew. In fact, in chapter 16 of Acts, he he himself circumcises Timothy as a Jewish mother. So it's not true, but the problem is that if this rumour goes unchecked, it's going to cause a split in the church, a division, a lack of trust between the Gentile Christians and the Jewish Christians, and that's going to affect the witness of the church in Jerusalem to the Jews there, but also across the whole world. And the Jewish leaders, the the Jerusalem leaders, have a plan. They basically say, look, Paul, we've got these four guys who want to do this Jewish purification right. You join them and pay all of the expenses for all the sacrifices involved. That way, verse 24, everyone will know that there's no truth in these reports about you. And Paul just does it. Just gets on with it. Verse 26, the next day Paul took the men and purified himself along with them. He doesn't say, hang on guys, 
You mean to tell me that because of a stupid rumour that you failed to stamp out, you want me to put all this money and time into something that I don't think I need to do? He knows that he, he doesn't need any purification right to be pure in God's sight, to enter into God's temple, to be in God's presence. He has all that in Christ. But he chooses not to exercise his freedom in Christ, not to stand on his rights in Christ, but to lay them down, to sacrifice for the sake of others. He uses his time and his money, not for his own benefit, but for the benefit of others, for the sake of the unity and witness of the church. To live as a witness of Jesus is to be ready to sacrifice for others. And again, the question is, am I are we, are we ready to sacrifice for others? Because again, the culture that we live in is pretty down on sacrifice. Sacrifice is something we should try and avoid if at all possible. In fact, the, the cultural critic Terry Ilton argues in his book, Radical Sacrifice, that, that the modern world is actually built on the rejection of sacrifice, almost a, dist- a disdain for sacrifice. He writes, sacrifice in our culture smacks of self-abasement and punitive self-denial. It is what long-suffering wives do for imperious husbands, maidservants for their pampered mistresses. In other words, it's not just that sacrifice is costly. No, the world tells us sacrifice is, is repressive. It's just actively bad for us. We should avoid it at all costs. And again, I don't think we're immune to this way of thinking. To seeking to live out our Christian faith through cultural lenses that screen out the important significance of sacrifice. We are tempted to kid ourselves that we can pursue the unity and witness of the church that we can give our lives to Jesus and it's not going to cost us anything. That's not true. So, you know, we might want, we might want, maybe, hopefully, almost all of us here want to be a united and diverse community. Want to be part of a genuine community of believers across difference. But what if that costs you the freedom to talk to who you want to at the end of the service? What if, if being part of a real community costs you the freedom to decide on a Wednesday evening that you're a bit tired and work's a bit busy and you're not going to go to his bar group tonight? What do we do then? We think about the witness of the church. Hopefully, again, most of us here gathered this afternoon would long for people who don't yet know Jesus to meet him, to put their trust in him, to have life in his name. But what about when it really costs time and energy and money to be with people, to spend time with people, to get to know people, to build relationships with friends who don't know Jesus? What if it costs us our freedom to decide that this year I want to live over here or actually I'm going to live over there or or whatever because we've got relationships that are too important? What then? To live as witnesses to Jesus Christ is to be ready to sacrifice for others. So, to be ready to suffer for Jesus, to be ready to sacrifice for others. And finally, is to be ready for it all to go wrong. <laughs> to be ready for it to all go wrong. 
Because for Paul, it all goes wrong. He's, he's willingly walked this path of suffering. He's made this sacrifice for others. And then even before the seven days are up, before the purification rite is finished, some Jews from the province of Asia see Paul at the temple and start sh- shouting false accusations. Verse 28, they shout, fellow Israelites, help us. This is the man who teaches everyone everywhere against our people and our law and this place. And besides, he's brought Greeks into the temple and defiled this holy place. It's a lie. He hasn't done that. But it's important to see if he had, to bring a non-Jew into the Jew-only bit of the temple was a death penalty offence. And so immediately as they hear that accusation, a mob starts to form, and they're going to execute mob justice. They grab Paul, they drag him away, and they're going to kill him. And the only reason he doesn't die is that the Roman Roman garrison um, by the temple hear what's going on, come down, grab him, try and work out what's going on, can't work out what's going on, and so arrest him and take him away just to try and stop the riot. It's all gone wrong. Paul's not done anything wrong. He's innocent. But he's been arrested, and he'll never be a free man again. It seems that going to Jerusalem has achieved nothing. That Paul being ready to suffer for Jesus has achieved nothing. That Paul being ready to sacrifice for others has achieved nothing. Maybe he should have listened to his travelling companions and not gone to Jerusalem in the first place. Maybe he shouldn't have listened to the Jerusalem church leaders and done what they asked. It's all gone wrong. I have um, some friends who are the same age as me, so about 10 years since uni, they've been married for pretty much all of that time, and they've been part of the same church for that, that 10 years. And lots of different small, unspectacular ways, they've made sacrifices for that church and for those people and for that community. So given lots of time to serve that church in different ways, they stuck with the church when they had kids, even though there wasn't any kids' work, and so one of them's always out of the sermon each week. They bought a house near the church because they wanted to live in the local area, even though they could have bought a much nicer house with a bigger garden somewhere else. And then last year, there were relationship issues within the church, issues with leadership, and the church shut. It died. Ten years of your life poured into that place. It's done, it's finished, it's all gone wrong. this point you might well say to me well Andy what on earth is the point then why on earth would I want to live as a witness for Jesus why would I want to be ready to to suffer for him ready to sacrifice for others when it could all just go wrong anyway here's why because it is only if we live as witnesses to Jesus it is only as we follow him that our lives are truly secure It is only then that we have the reassurance that on the deepest level things cannot go wrong. Let me explain. It all goes wrong for Paul in this chapter, right? There's no way this is what he was planning for, what he was hoping for when he showed up in Jerusalem to get assaulted and arrested. But look again, what happens? He is bound and ends up in the hands of the Gentiles. What did the Holy Spirit say would happen to Paul when he arrived in Jerusalem? That he would be bound and handed over to the Gentiles. God is in control. 
Humanly speaking, it looks like it's all gone wrong. But God is in control. It's true for Paul. It's true for us. God's got it. And more than that, we know that somehow God will triumph, even through disaster, because our God is the God who brings life from the grave. Paul is walking the path to the cross. He's following Jesus. Luke tells us in his gospel that on the morning of the crucifixion, the crowds in Jerusalem shout at Jesus, away with him, get rid of him. Verse 36, what do they shout at Paul? Exactly the same thing, get rid of him. Paul is on the road to the cross. He is taking up his cross. Because he knows that beyond the cross is the empty tomb. That beyond suffering and death is resurrection life. He knows it for sure. Listen to what he writes in Philippians chapter 3. I want to know Christ. Yes, to know the power of his resurrection and participation in his sufferings, becoming like him in his death, and so somehow attaining to the resurrection from the dead. So Paul's ready to suffer and ready to sacrifice, and he's ready for it all to go wrong, humanly speaking, because he knows that it's through suffering and even through death that he will find resurrection life, that it can't ultimately go wrong. It's true for Paul. And it's true for us. If we are ready to share in Christ's sufferings, we will also share in his resurrection. God will turn even what looks like disaster into triumph. If we are allergic to suffering, if we seek to avoid sacrifice, Our lives will go wrong. Suffering will come, whether we want it or not. We'll find that actually what we've sacrificed is meaningful relationships and true fulfillment on the altar of our selfishness. It will go wrong. But if we're ready to suffer for Jesus, if we're ready to sacrifice for others, then our lives are truly secure because we are on the road to resurrection. To riff off Martin Luther King, I submit to you that if a person is ready to suffer and sacrifice for Jesus, then they will truly live. Or, as Jesus puts it himself, whoever loses their life for me will save it. And that is what it means to live as a witness to the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Friends, we are called, commanded, commissioned to witness to him in what we say to tell the people around us, the people we love, that Jesus is alive, that he died for them, to pay for their sins, but God raised him from the dead and he's ascended into heaven and he wants to know them now and forever. We are are called to do that. And we're called to live the lives that back it up. 
We're called to live cross and resurrection-shaped lives, lives that only make sense because of the resurrection, lives that are founded on the indestructible hope of the resurrection. So that as we are ready to suffer, ready to sacrifice, ready for it all to go wrong, we will keep going because we know that we too will rise again. Let's pray together. Father, I know my own heart that I'm not ready to suffer and sacrifice like this for you. I'm too self-absorbed, too selfish. Please help us by the power of your spirit to see the promise of resurrection that nothing can ultimately go wrong and would that free us to give it all up for the Lord Jesus, to live lives given to him, cross and resurrection shaped lives. And would those around us see and be drawn to Jesus for his glory. Amen.